Prometheus is an open-source monitoring system and time series database. Prometheus includes a multidimensional data model, a query language called PromQL, and a poll model for gathering metrics from your different services. Prometheus is widely used by large distributed systems deployments, such as Cloud Foundry or Kubernetes. Prometheus gathers metrics from your services by periodically scraping those services. The metrics get gathered, they get compressed, and they get stored onto disk for querying. But Prometheus is designed to store all of its records on one host in one set of files, which limits the scalability and the availability of those metrics. Cortex is an open-source project built to scale Prometheus. Cortex effectively shards Prometheus by parallelizing the ingestion and storage of Prometheus metrics. Cortex can take metrics from multiple Prometheus instances and store them across a distributed NoSQL database like DynamoDB or Bigtable or Cassandra. Brian Borham is an engineer at Weaveworks, where he works on deployment, observability, and monitoring tools for containers and microservices. Brian wrote much of the code for Cortex, and we met up at KubeCon North America to talk about the motivation for creating Cortex and the broader landscape of Kubernetes monitoring, as well as other approaches to scaling Prometheus. It was a great conversation with some technical depth. And before we get started, we're gathering feedback in our 2019 listener survey. If you can fill that out, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com survey. Tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And you can also send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com, to help me chart a course for 2019. We want to know what topics we should cover and what material is useful to you. We're also looking for sponsors for 2019. If you're interested in reaching the 50,000-plus developers that listen to Software Engineering Daily, please check out softwareengineeringdaily.com slash sponsor. And you can help us out by sending an email to your marketing director or your CMO or your CEO. Many people are surprised by how effective podcast advertising turns out to be for their product marketing or for hiring. If you're hiring engineers, this is a great way to reach them. And it can often be difficult for us to convince advertisers to buy podcast ads, so your recommendation can go a long way. We do invest heavily back into Software Engineering Daily, so these dollars are not going just to a big treasure chest. We want to reinvest them into interesting product offerings for software engineers and technologists. As always, you can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Brian Borum, you're an engineer at Weaveworks. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. So we're talking about scaling Prometheus today, but we should start by talking about what Prometheus is. Can you explain what Prometheus is and what problem it solves? Sure. Prometheus is a time series store. So the, the problem is if you want to look at some number like the CPU usage over time, you switch on your computer, it's not doing very much, so that's going to be a low number, and then you start up a bunch of services and your CPU usage goes up. So that's that's what we call a time series, a, a, a number that varies over time. Very often you, you want to aggregate that number up to the big picture, and then you want to slice it down to find out what makes up that number. 
So that, that leads to the complexity of the problem. You, you will typically have tens of thousands of those time series of different kinds telling you different things, and you want to aggregate them up, see the sum, see the average, that kind of thing, or slice them down to understand what they're showing you. Prometheus is gathering all this data originally in the format of events, is that correct? I would say not. It's it basically it's a process it calls scraping, and it, it goes out and makes a call, like a web service call. It talks to a bunch of different services. That's that's one of the superpowers of Prometheus is that it can automatically discover what you're running. So if you're running one thing or ten things or hundred things, it can reach out through a variety of mechanisms of service discovery mechanisms and find them, make that call, and it's a pool based model. It it calls out and it pulls back a set. Of of metrics and then on some interval so we typically use every 15 seconds it'll do it again so it gets a, a sample every 15 seconds for every time series and that builds up over time and that and that gives you the raw data which you typically render as a as a, a chart a graph over time okay and these scraped metrics we'll say every 15 seconds you scrape what your your different kubernetes services that are running Right. So if you're running Kubernetes, you'd want to probably scrape all the services, all the pods. You'd also want to gather information from uh, nodes, like the computers that they're running on. You probably want to ask Kubernetes for some metadata. You know, for instance, a, a pod that is uh, pending won't have any metrics of its own that, because pending means it's not running. But that's an interesting metric. Uh, the number of pods that are pending, that, that tells you there's something maybe not quite right about your cluster. So you actually, Prometheus would interrogate that from, from uh, Kubernetes itself. So definitely you would configure it to, to gather all the metrics you can from your application software, also from your infrastructure, from your middleware, from anywhere. And this the Prometheus community has a huge set of uh, agents that can gather that data. They, they're usually called exporters because they export some data. So they, they go by names like Node Exporter, gives you the, the node level, the machine level data. There's a bunch of them and they can convert from other types of metric data. A good example might be JMX, which is a sort of sta standard Java metric data, and bring it all into Prometheus, no matter where it starts from, bring it all in and have that data available for analysis. So in the life cycle of one of those 15-second cycles and you, where you go out and scrape all the different services and pods and basically whatever you want to scrape, whatever has an agent on it, what is the format that it's being stored in? And is it is it a single time series entry or is, is, is there a different entry for each of the different things that you're scraping? Well, let's break that down. So the data comes back from the source in uh, basically textual format in ASCII with with like the name of the metric. So to give a concrete example, HTTP request duration, name of the metric, and then some labels because you want to be able to slice and dice it down. So maybe the name of the service or the, the name of the URL path or, or um, whatever you like, you, you can get uh, creative. Um, the labels are the things you slice and dice on. And then the, the value itself. So if that was a, a, a duration, um, that might be 0.1 of a second. And then the next time it interrogates that metric, maybe it's 
maybe it's uh, you know a different number over time. And the time series are stored individually uh, for each unique set of labels. So if you had 10 copies of your service running, that would be 10 sets of time series. Each one of them might be reporting metrics for 50 different endpoints. Each one of those you might want to slice by whether it was a an okay response or an error response. So you generally add all those tags on the, the labels to the data and each unique set of labels gives you another time series. So you can quickly get up to the thousands of time series. If you're running a, a big infrastructure, you'll be, you'll be in the hundreds of thousands or millions of time series. And that's the basis of the system. Is it writing to a database or writing to a file? Yeah, Prometheus is writing to a file. I mean, it's effectively got its own time series database. It employs a compression mechanism. It goes by the name of, of gorilla compression, if you want to Google detail behind it. The, so this compression is, is basically taking advantage of the fact that, that one value is likely to be very, same as, very similar to the one before. And so it, it compresses down. So you start off with a, like an 8-byte floating point value, and it'll, it'll compress down to like 1 byte. And yeah, that goes in a file, basically. The time series are also indexed, so that's in the file as well. And that's, yeah, that, that's basically how Prometheus works. It's, it's, it's very simple to run. It's one process, and it writes to one area on the disk. Describe how a user queries Prometheus. Okay. So there is a, a little UI built into Prometheus. They can, they can start there. They can type a query in the PromQL language. And that basically looks like the name of the metric and some curly brackets and the values that you want to narrow down. You know, let's say you want to look at only one service or you want to look at only the 500 response codes. So you put that in the curly brackets. And then you might want to apply some functions to the data, like like uh, you want the average, or you want the, the sum of one thing divided by the sum of another thing. That is all built into the PromQL language, the basically statistical functions. And the result of that will then be another time series. So typically, you would use a tool that can take the, the numbers over time and, and render that as a nice colorful chart. I would say one of the most popular is is Grafana. We work with those guys. Um, Weaveworks, we have our own dashboards, which are automatically generated, uh, so you don't have to spend time designing them. Uh, but there's a, there's a whole range of tools that can render the data, take the, the PromQL query, um, which specifies what you want to see, and, and display it in a way that's useful. How long do people want to keep their Prometheus data? It's kind of a tail-off. Basically, the most common use case is you're looking at the data very recently because um, you're trying to understand what's happening to your system right now. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, it is useful to say, well, it was working okay yesterday. Can I, can I go back and compare the very recent data against what it looked like yesterday and, and see if I can spot something that's different? And then they, they might want to compare against uh, a week ago. Going further back, I mean, the same, same principle applies, but, but maybe another use case comes to the fore. You want to look at a trend or something like that. You want to do maybe capacity planning. You, you can't really do capacity planning based on, on an hour's data, but a, a month or three months or something like that is really going to give you the, the long-term trend. And, and if you're purchasing equipment or, or thinking about budgeting or something like that. So it's, it's based on the use case. I think um, the people who created Prometheus were very focused on, on the here and now. 
but there's certainly an argument for the use of the data over time and and wanting to store it for longer. When people want to read their data in a PromQL query, how fast does that query need to render? Hmm. Well, that's a, that's kind of a question about human nature, isn't it? I mean, I I would say the goal is is to to draw dashboards in in the blink of an eye, you know, in in under a second. But I suppose you know people understand that a lot of data takes time to crunch, um, and and they'd uh, they'd wait a, f- a few seconds for a complex query. But it's you know it's in that range. I think people are not generally willing to wait like uh, minutes for their dashboard to come back. Does the data need to be replicated? Well, maybe. I mean, the the I guess the question is what would happen if you if you lost that disk? You know, if you had a a, a disk failure where you've written that data. Now you you could solve that at the disk hardware level with like a RAID um, array, or you could uh, think about about taking that data and storing it somewhere else. We've given some contours for the basics of Prometheus, what are the scalability issues of running a Prometheus cluster? Well, actually, that, that word is, is, that's the kind of the, the, the crux of it. There, there isn't really a concept of a Prometheus cluster. Prometheus is, is one process that, that, that runs completely on itself. That's what makes it so easy to manage. So whatever it's doing has to, has to fit in the, the memory of the machine that you're running it on, has to all of that compression I talked about, that takes CPU power. So that all has to fit on however many CPU cores you've got. And the disk IO has to has to be available from one machine. So that's, I mean, there, there are ways to kind of what they call f- a federation of, of Prometheus to cascade, to do roll-ups from Prometheus that have full detail to like a less detailed view over multiple of them that that's that's the idea of federation but there there isn't really a notion of a cluster and basically one prometheus is as big as as one machine that you can get hold of to run it on but if you write a bunch of data and you never do anything with that data then you end up with a ton of disks that you've horizontally scaled out to hold your data right yeah so so typically you you configure prometheus with a with a retention time and it, it will delete data older than that yeah that's that's kind of your choice uh, how much disk you want to give it i think somewhere in the tens to hundreds of of terabytes it would start getting painful just to manage um, disk store in that way. That brings us to Cortex. What is Cortex? Yeah, so so Cortex is a horizontally scalable uh, time series store built on on Prometheus, and Cortex aims to uh, allow you to to run it as big as you need to. That that's what we mean by horizontally scalable. Each part can be um, multiplied and extended. And it is also, by design, highly available. The, all the parts are replicated. Um, it works with long-term stores, stores designed for, for durability and massive scale. And it, Cortex is also multi-tenant. Um, we built that for uh, Weaveworks uh, Managed Service, which is like a hosted Prometheus. And so we have many, many customers come to us. We run their Prometheus effectively. We run their storage, but it's actually Cortex pretending to be multiple Prometheus 
um, Cortex is, is multi-tenant from beginning to end. We talked about the scraping process, and so we've gone over the basics of the data ingestion system, but Prometheus has a component called an ingester. Can you explain what an ingester is? Well, in Cortex, that's the piece that takes the individual oh, samples. Sorry, is, is there not an ingester in, in Prometheus itself? Probably, yeah. I mean, same concept. It's, it's taking the, the individual samples and stacking them up and applying the compression algorithm. Uh, so it, it, it builds up a data structure which, which contains the time series over, over time. So, so just to be clear, so an ingester uh, takes in the data that has been scraped and compresses it? Yeah. Compresses it, formats it? So the, the, the Prometheus is, is, is one process. All, all of the components are software, you know, different parts of the software, but they're all linked together into one program. And it's sitting there, it's doing the scraping, it's doing the compressing, it's doing the storing, it's doing the serving of queries um, all together. The Cortex is broken out into microservices that, that each one does a little piece of the job. And that's, and that's how we can scale it by multiplying those services. So yeah, in, ingest, I mean, as a, as a concept is receiving the data and, and handling it. And what we need to do fundamentally with the data is apply that gorilla compression that I mentioned earlier. And once we've got a certain amount of data in memory, we want to um, flush it off to the long-term store. So that's, that pattern is, is pretty much the same inside Prometheus as it is inside Cortex. They're engineered differently for different goals. So as we start to talk about scaling Prometheus what are we talking about scaling? Are we, tar- starting, are we talking about scaling Prometheus to handle more things that it's scraping, or are we just storing more data for a longer period of time? What exactly are we scaling when we're talking yeah, about any, that? any of those dimensions, more things in more detail stored over a longer time, you might want to scale any of those dimensions. I, I think Prometheus Prometheus is very efficient. You know, it, it can one Prometheus instance can scrape many things without really taking a lot of resource. But the compression and storage and serving queries adds to that burden. So you, you do reach a point where, where you just can't can't scrape anymore with one Prometheus. So yeah, scaling if you imagine, you know, you could you could have one Prometheus scraping a hundred services, receiving a million time series every fifteen seconds, that that'd usually that'd work great. Mm-hmm. But there are quite a lot of people who, who operate a bigger scale than that. And as you get bigger, you run out of room and that's kind of why we built Cortex, because you can just carry on scaling one instance of Cortex to as big as you like. Got it. So if you're some gigantic Kubernetes cluster, like one of the ones that JD.com runs, and you want to monitor it with Prometheus, some different patterns you might take would be to, you could stand up multiple Prometheus processes and, and write, you could just have the them divide and conquer across the cluster, or you could use Cortex, are those alternatives? Yeah, divide and conquer, you, you need to figure out some way of dividing it down. And I think for most people, the, the scale problem isn't maybe not so much one gigantic cluster, but they, they have many teams, and, and so they give each one their own Prometheus. And then they have the problem of, of how, do I, how do I get a global view of, of all of my infrastructure, of, of all of my resource usage? But yeah, you're right. There are people who have, have single clusters, and, and they have another problem. Which is it? It may not be easy to see a division between one thing and another. You know, some people divide 
apps versus infrastructure or one data center versus another data center. You've got to find those divisions if you're working that way. But because Prometheus doesn't have a concept of automatically splitting up the data, sharding the data, you have to manually make that choice about about where the divisions are. So with that said, how are you scaling Prometheus? Where is the are, is this can we think of this as a sharded version of Prometheus? Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, we we take the basic components uh, we break them out into microservices so we can run multiples of them. We do an automatic sharding process, which is, is, is essentially based off hashing the labels in the time series. So we, we get a fairly even distribution of the incoming time series to our ingester processes. And then we, uh, for a store, we don't just write to disk. We use a distributed database uh, we have a, a, a number of backends in Cortex. Cassandra is one. DynamoDB is another. Google Bigtable is another. So we use one of those stores, which are themselves massively scalable, to hold the, the compressed data and also to index it so we can find it again quickly. So let me just try to see if I have it right. So in the normal Prometheus, let's say I'm just a small company. I've got 50 services. It's not too intense and Prometheus is monitoring this whole thing. I've got a single Prometheus process that's periodically, every 15 seconds or so, scanning my cluster, scraping the metrics that I'm asking for based on labels, and storing it in a file in a time series database. If, on the other hand, I'm running a gigantic cluster, then I need to scale my Prometheus somehow, Maybe I could just run my own Prometheus, multi-process, multi-Prometheus, you know, divide and conquer strategy as we were talking about, and maybe write to separate files or find some way to merge the files into the same thing to get some kind of global view. But what Cortex does is it it just takes care of all of that for you by just saying, okay, we're going to scrape your entire cluster and just or or scrape all of your clusters, scrape multiple clusters, and hide the details of that that unified view for you. Right. We can effectively run a Prometheus instance as big as you like because it's it's really Cortex. It's really automatically sharded across many processes and we we speak the same api but it's it's done differently internally i i will say the the scraping part actually we still use regular prometheus for that so you you may still run five or ten or or however many you need to prometheus to do the original scraping but because we're not using them for any queries we're not using the storage feature uh, those are pretty lightweight they just scrape the metrics and they send them off over an API that, that was created to, to do this kind of thing, to, to use a different storage backend with Prometheus. And so if there's a high volume of data coming through Prometheus, there's this ingester part that we've discussed where it, it, this is the compression component, right? You said the ingester does the compression. Is there a bottleneck there if you're just having if we're just talking about a the single Prometheus deployment? Well, yeah, it it, it certainly t- takes a bit of CPU to do that compression. I, it's um, not sure I would characterize it as a bottleneck. I mean, all all of the different parts take a certain amount of effort, scraping, you know, reaching out, parsing the results that come back, compressing the data, and then creating the index on disk. All all of those things uh, take a certain amount of, of CPU. And Prometheus itself has been highly optimized over over years to to make each of those parts pretty efficient. 
So it's, it's just when you get into the millions or tens of millions, hundreds of millions of time series that, that you run out of power on one box. And that's when you, you look for some system that, that lets you uh, shard it across many. In the process of building a sharded Prometheus, you build parallelism for this ingestion process. So you have a, a hash ring that distributes the different ingest the ingestion of all the data across a series of ingesters rather than just having one ingester. Can you explain why that is? Explain the motivation for that. So the hash ring is a is a type of distributed hash table. That's a, a well-worn technique that has been used in, in um, distributed systems for a couple of decades. So what we need is, first of all, consistency. We need to send the same time series to the same ingester every time because it's, it's building up a time series in memory and we, we can't just kind of spray those around in standard load balancer fashion. So we need consistent hashing or sharding, which we do by hashing. Another thing we need is do not want all the components to be continuously interlocking with each other, you know, in maybe interrogating a single database to know what to do. So we use this data structure distributed hash table, whereby all the components get the same view of who should be doing what. But the only time they communicate about that data structure is, is when you add or subtract a component, an ingester, basically, from the system. So if you're, if you're scaling up the system, then you need to update the, uh, the hash ring, as you said. And everyone, all the components in the system receive that update. They don't have to receive it atomically, but they, they will uh, get the new version. They'll start operating off the new version. But they, they each have their own copy of that structure and the, the distribution, the consistent hashing consistent distribution of time series to ingesters is done without any cross-component interlock. So that's very important for scaling. You want you want all your components to operate independently because that gives you the, the infinite scalability. So the different Prometheus instances, they are each writing to one or more ingesters, right? right. Are each- we, we have a component called a distributor that, that sorts that out. So the, the Prometheus doesn't care who it's talking to. It talks to one distributor component in, in Cortex. The distributor, for reasons of efficiency, the, the Prometheus, the scraping Prometheus will send us batches of samples, batches of, of time series, like a hundred at a time or a thousand at a time, if you like. And in that batch, we'll probably have to spread them out across all the ingesters. Uh, so the distributor takes care of that. It, it, the, the, the samples come in batched from Prometheus to one distributor. You can have as many distributors as you like because we need to be scalable horizontally without, without limit. Based on the, the hash ring or the distributed hash table, that batch of 100 samples are split down. Maybe 10 goes to A, 10 goes to B, 10 goes to C. And then the ingesters take care of doing the compression. So um, it is getting complicated at this part. But that's uh, two parts of it. The distributor is responsible for receiving the samples and figuring out which ingester they go to. Distributor is completely stateless. Um, the ingester is, is building up time series in memory. So it's it's not stateless. It's it's important that we talk to the right one each time. So it's built. The each ingester is building up time series data in memory, and then periodically batching it out into compressed loads. Right, right. We typically build a few hours into what we call a chunk and ship that off to the store. That that'd be like a Cassandra or DynamoDB, like I mentioned earlier. 
And these compressed chunks, these are, do they have some readable metadata associated with them? Yeah, the metadata is, is essentially all the name of the, the metric and all the labels. Okay. All the label names and values. And so the chunks get stored in a database like Cassandra, DynamoDB, or Bigtable. So these are the Dynamo-style, masterless, eventually consistent databases, NoSQL databases. Why is this class of database a good fit for the Cortex workloads? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I guess fundamentally, uh, because it, again, it's horizontally scalable. You can continue adding capacity in the data store. You know, not not have a, a limit on the size of your database. There's no coordination between uh, different parts of the database. So yeah, that's it, it. Fits really well. It, 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 we we throw these chunks at the store. I mean, at Weave Cloud, we're we're storing many thousands a second of, of chunks, where each chunk has several hours of data in it, and it it just uh, it just works. You know, it's great. So these chunks are pretty big. So it doesn't actually. It doesn't matter if they're. Well, how how do you need to arrange the chunks in the database? I mean, because if you have a, if a user issues a query to it, you know, I'd imagine the user wants to know everything that happened along this span of time. So you would want to know, you would want to have these events in, or I should say, these time series samples in the database arranged in some fashion that you could query any time span that you would want to. And but if you're yeah, writing so we, to this. Sorry. We have we have we do that in a in a few ways. I mean, the 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 first thing we do is is divide the time into buckets, which are by default one day. So we, in some sense, we actually arrange the database dozens of one day databases. So so we start with what is the time span you're trying to look at, and that'll give you a day or give you multiple days, and we'll go look there in the in the database. We build an an index. It's a special kind of index called an inverted index. But fundamentally, that lets us go to the right set of data. Once we've got the the right day, we go to the right uh, name of the metric, like HTTP response time I I used as an example earlier. Generally, in in PromQL, you're asking about one metric at a time. And that one metric will have maybe tens of thousands of time series on that day. So you might have narrowed that down. You might have asked about, uh, you might have given the label for one service that gives us a narrowing there. And the inverted index lets us go straight to the set of time series that match that label. So now we have a set of time series and what's in the index at that point is a set of of, uh, chunk IDs. So the chunks themselves are pretty much opaque. In fact, you can, you can as an option in Cortex, you can store the chunks in, in a, another kind of store like S3, like a, a, which is a sort of a bucket style. You don't really have any, any um, particular organization of, of the chunks in that sense, but the, the index is the thing that lets us find the right set of chunks. So we, at Weaveworks, we, we have billions and billions of chunks stored up. Um, so we have this, this index, which lets us find the right set. You know, one query for one hour might involve fetching 50,000 chunks. Probably that's that's quite a complex case. Or maybe there's only 100 chunks. You know, doesn't matter to the software. It goes and fetches them from the store and unpacks the compressed samples that are in those chunks. And then we, we reuse the um, Prometheus query engine to do all of those statistical functions, averaging and whatever, based on the raw samples that we fetched from our store. 
Contrast the lifecycle of a Cortex query with the lifecycle of a normal Prometheus query. Well, it, it starts off, uh, the, the query in the PromQL language is a, is a string, comes in basically in the same way. We, in Cortex, we will receive that in any one of a number of uh, querier processes. In Prometheus, there's just the one process. But once it's received that string, there's a process of, of parsing the query. The parser then understands which metrics it's interested in, and it, it calls down into an API. In, in regular Prometheus, that API goes to the Prometheus file store. The, well, there's, there's a component in Prometheus called TSDB, Time Series Database, which is looking at files on disk. In the Cortex case, we, we come through the same API and we enter that process of looking up the index. We look up the index, we, we do a bunch of speaking to the store, to Cassandra or DynamoDB or Bigtable, whichever one. In the Cortex case, we fetch back all those little individual chunks and then we hand back to Prometheus. And Prometheus uses a, an iterator pattern to step through value by value. And uh, so in the, um, in the regular Prometheus case, it's, it's stepping through data that is in a file that is memory mapped into, into the memory of the Prometheus process. In the uh, Cortex case, it's, it's stepping through those chunks that we've re returned from store. In each case, it's getting sample by sample and it's doing its aggregation, you know, sums, averages, rate over time. Those things that are really powerful in Prometheus, that's that's identical in both cases. There's one more wrinkle in, in Cortex we can take. If you do a big query, like a 30-day query, we will actually split that into 31-day queries, run them all in parallel and stitch them back together again. So that's another advantage of, of, of the microservice architecture. We, we've split everything up. We can... Uh, we know we have scale. We know we can run these things in parallel. It's a little bit of an extra wrinkle there just at the top layer. Yeah, basically the same pattern with a different store underneath. I'd like to talk through some of the failure scenarios that can occur and, and your strategies for recovering. We don't. So let's take a distributor, for example. Yep. So the distributor, if I recall, is the kind of the load balancer between these different ingesters? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so let's say an a distributor crashes or the machine lost power under it. What would happen is the, the calls... Uh, the call coming in from the scraping Prometheus would never receive an answer. In the case of a crash, what would happen is it would see its socket close. The sending Prometheus will then retry that call. And if you've arranged your Cortex installation that way, it'll, it'll find a different distributor. Distributors are stateless. So the same batch of samples will come into a different distributor, and hopefully it doesn't crash, and uh, the call will, will proceed through to the ingesters. What happens if there's a node failure in the query layer? Probably the dashboard would, would show an error. The, the user would hit F5 or something like that. Or, you know, most, most dashboards are, are on a refresh, you know, every, every 10 seconds or something like that. They, they would just see some kind of bad result uh, come back from the query. If it, was a, if it was coming straight in as a simple query, that thing I mentioned where we, where we shard like a 30-day query into 31-day queries, we will actually retry at that layer. So if, if, we, if we got 29 results back and one failure, we'd retry that one failure until we have the whole thing and stitch it together. So, yeah, the query part is, is completely stateless. The, 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 res the request can come back in and, and we'll just run it again. When a user's configuring Cortex, are they manually describing, here's how many Prometheus instances there are, 
here's how many ingesters I want, or is there any like auto configuration based? Yeah, I mean the number of the number of scraping Prometheus will be some feature of of how your infrastructure is laid out. Sure. Like right. like you know, hopefully you could you could get away with one, but if you had like one per data center or or something like that, that 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 would govern that arrangement. The configuration number of distributors, number of queriers, that could be auto-scaled, like if you're in Kubernetes with a horizontal pod auto-scaler. Not actually aware of anyone doing that, but all of the stateless components of Cortex, that should work. The place where you need to be a little bit careful is the ingesters, because they're they're holding a lot of data in memory to do the compression. And scaling up would not really be a problem, but scaling down, you need to make sure you've flushed everything to the store before you shut down the ingesters you're taking away. And so I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't automate that process, because we, we don't really have enough kind of management uh, automation around around that at the moment but it's it's um it tends to be the the load tends to be pretty consistent over time because the where it's coming from is is scraping and you know you, you tend to have the same series going on for for days and weeks uh, at, at least you know that that's what we see i guess because we're running a hosted service we have a whole variety of customers that can they kind of average out so we see a pretty consistent load and we don't um we don't actually scale that up and down very often. Um, we do scale up as we get more customers. One thing I'm still a little bit confused on is if you have a single Prometheus instance, what are the circumstances where you get into a situation where you say, I need scalable Prometheus? My Prometheus is starting to fall over. What are the scalability bottlenecks that we're hitting that we need to go and yeah. Migrate to like cortex. cortex. I think I think a very common one is is uh, a crash because it's out of memory, which is is very sad because it's painful. You because Prometheus is designed as as one process that does everything. When it crashes, you lose everything. So so the the scraping stops. The the queries that were in flight all fail, and the the data that was being compressed is whatever was was in memory at that point is is lost. So why would you run out of memory? Well, it, the, the the scraping part, as I was just saying, can be fairly consistent over time, but the querying is very dynamic because people, you know, maybe they they just have a set of dashboards that they never look at, and then all of a sudden there's an incident, and everyone's looking at the dashboard, everyone's hitting refresh. So the load on the query side can can be very variable. And in the way Prometheus works is is one process in in one memory space. And, um, you know, let's say your machine has 64 gigs of memory. If you use it all up with a bunch of people doing queries, the program will fall over. It's very sad. uh, Yeah, that's a typical thing. Program falling over because it's out of memory. I could imagine another symptom would would be it, it slowing down because it can't keep up with the scraping. So instead of a sample every 15 seconds, you're getting a sample every 20 seconds or every 30 seconds because it's just not keeping up. But I, yeah, I mean, most mostly when I talk to people who are in this situation, the symptom they see is it actually falling over. 
so when you say running out of memory, that's because you're doing these scrapes and you're not batching them out to the ingester fast enough. Well, no, I, I think in the in the Prometheus case, it'd be the query side that that causes a, query side that causes a, an out of memory because that's the thing that that's very variable. Oh, got it. Oh, so if you have too many users querying it at the same time, yeah. I mean, so imagine the the situation is my machine's got sixty four gigs of RAM. My Prometheus normally runs at fifty gigs of RAM because it's you know it's pretty busy. It's doing a lot of work, and a hundred people have suddenly come in with a query. And it just tips it over the edge. You know, it's it's just one of these things that 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 if you if you run it uh, over the limit, then um, then then it stops. Does this become a problem because people build lots and lots of dashboards on the same Prometheus system? Well, maybe. Uh, I, yeah, I guess you know it, it, these things tend to get popular. People getting getting a lot of value from the insights. But but generally, you know, one one dashboard that's refreshing once a minute or something like that, it, it is not really a huge amount of load. I think the the corner case is is when everyone gets excited to look at what's going on. I see. And unfortunately, that that can be the very time when you need the data. So there's standard mitigations, you know, to, to run a pair so that, that if, if somehow you manage to kill one of them, then the other one will pick up. But yeah, it, it is. This is the kind of situation that you hear about, and and that's what makes people manually shard their data so they don't have one Prometheus doing everything. They have, they have more than one. And so this is just a case where, like, you have enough operators, people operating against the cluster, and and you know, doing SRE against this cluster that they're just issuing ad hoc queries and they take down the cluster and it's the same time where you actually need the data. Mm. Yeah, I can see why that's can happen, yeah. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. So let's take a step back. This is a project that you built within Weaveworks. How does this apply to Weaveworks and the companies you're working with? Well, we, we built it because we wanted to offer Prometheus as a service. We run this uh, service called uh, Weave Cloud. And people can sign up, and they get a they get a range of features to help them operate their Kubernetes cluster, and those include continuous deployment, the, the GitOps feature that I think you were talking to my colleagues about, um, includes a kind of dynamic exploration feature uh, in the product, and it includes the time series metrics and dashboards and and alerting and all that good stuff. And and we find that that bringing those things together is is really powerful. For instance, because we're handling the software deployments, we can mark on the uh, dashboard when a deployment took place. Quite often, you can see a very marked difference. You know, there was there was a bug in that new version that, or it's just less efficient than the previous version, and everything has slowed down. Or there was a bug that that meant the error rate jumped to thirty percent or something like that. And um, having having that data together is 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 real feature of what we do and we we built cortex number one because we we did not want to provision a regular prometheus for every new customer you know that that would have been one way to go maybe run it in a pod or something like that and come up with some disk storage and uh, every time a customer signs up to our service we go through that provisioning process and everyone's got their own prometheus we didn't like that idea. It sounded like a lot of ops work we didn't want to do. So we built a multi-tenant scalable system. So we run one Cortex for all of our customers. And they can sign up anytime, you know, middle of the night. They can start up a new instance. And Cortex just starts accepting their data. 
Okay, so this could actually be quite useful to any cloud provider that wants to do a Prometheus as a service. Oh yeah, and, and there are multiple that have come on board with the Cortex project. Some of the individual authors, uh, shout out to Tom Wilkie, pretty much the his brainchild to begin with. He's Grafana Labs now, so that's they, have, they, they provide Prometheus as a service. I could name Aspen Mesh, Platform 9. I apologize to the ones I'm forgetting. But yeah, there's a bunch of people doing just that. It's a it's an open source project. We have a real community going. We have contributions coming from multiple different companies. Also, people people running like an internal service provision. So I, I could I could call out uh, EA, the the games company, Electronic Arts. Um, you know they they uh, need to monitor their back end so your favorite game is available. And they uh, they run Cortex. They're uh, main. They have uh, maintainers of Cortex on the, on staff. And so internal service provision and external service provision are, are two very much active use cases. Yeah. So in the internal case, all the different teams at EA can spin up their own Kubernetes uh, on their own Prometheus instance. But the internal operator, because EA probably runs their own servers, but the internal operator has their own their own headaches to worry about and they can reduce those headaches by just having a single storage system that all of those Prometheus in instances are running against. Yeah, it's it's essentially the same problem at, at that scale. Instead of instead of provisioning multiple Prometheus servers with multiple sets of disk storage, right. you can run one big cortex. What are some other approaches to scaling Prometheus? If we widen it out to to scaling time series databases, then then there's a bunch of things in that space. The people who have started with Prometheus and built a solution based on that. The notable one is is the Thanos project. Thanos was created with a focus on long-term storage and uh, better availability of Prometheus. Um, Cortex was started with a focus on multi-tenant. So they kind of started in different places, but there are a lot of similarities between the projects, and it is interesting to see how that develops. We all talk to each other. You know, the, the maintainers of Prometheus, the maintainers of Cortex, and the maintainers of Thanos kind of overlap in various ways. And yeah, we all talk to each other. Brian Borum, thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. Wow. 